you know, the consciousness of music was always hip hop. And I, um, and I, I'm certainly like, it was at that time and to this day, like I'm listening to hip hop, you know, I was down, but you know, I always wanted to make like folk rock music. That was musician Andrew St. James. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this episode, Andrew picks up where he left off in part one. That episode dropped Tuesday, and if you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and check it out. Here, Andrew talks about life during and after high school. Highlights include going briefly to school on the East Coast, getting a musical residency in Los Angeles, going on trial for a federal crime, and establishing a monthly music night here in the city he grew up in. Please follow Andrew on social media and check his website for release and event info. That's www.andrewstjames.com. Here's Andrew. I mean, I was like in the jazz band. I was kind of like, uh, I was brought to that school kind of as a, when I applied there, I've, they've, you know, I was thought of as some sort of like the, the future of the music program or something, like one of several people. And so I was put into the jazz band. I played piano, um, which is awesome, actually. Uh, the dude who uh, was the leader of the jazz band was this guy named Scott Foster who still gigs around town and shit. And and he uh, he was always really decent to me. Um, and, and actually, some of the people who I was in the band with, older and younger, now are doing real music things, including a partner of mine who uh, named Cesar Hamilton, Cesar Maria Hamilton, lives down in, in Los Angeles. And I have a band called Juan Wayne with him. He was in the jazz band. He was two years younger than me. He was very talented. It's like awesome. Jimmy Stack, who's like a DJ, who's friends with Diplo and all them. It's like mm-hmm. lives in New York. And... You know, he's in the band. There's a handful of other people that were like in that world of that kind of weird subtext of that tiny school that were actually kind of these you know, kids all that went were to urban. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So y'all were screwing around. Did anything get serious in the high school years? Oh no. Yeah. No. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because like there's like it's a mixture of like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it felt like a mixture of people doing, like, in that world, like, people doing music to, like, get up, like, go to regular college, you know? As like, right. I was like, I played, like, I played high school baseball because I lost a bet. And, <laughs> and I just, like, got drunk every day we played it. And it was great. I never was played because I was terrible and drunk. And, 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 but it was so fun, you know, it was so fun. But, but, you know, for most people on that team, even, we're like, it was like, oh, well, I'm, when I go to UCLA, when I apply, like I'm, I was a varsity high school baseball Jeez. player, you know. So I was like, yeah, man, you're looking at a high, varsity high school baseball player right here, dude. You know, like fuck, man, like don't look up my stats though. The, um, but yeah, the same thing with the jazz band shit, where I was like, all these people were like, kind of like, oh, I can play the the fucking tuba or whatever, and you know, it was like no one who really actually wants to play music, you know, and. Um, so for me, I started writing songs solo when I was about 16. I, I bought a guitar and I started playing. I started teaching myself how to play guitar. I started recording my own demos because there's no one else to play with. Right. <laughs> and, every, you know, and growing up here, too, like, you know, the consciousness of music was always hip hop. And I um, and I've I'm certainly like it was at that time and to this day, like I'm listening to hip hop, you know, I was down. But. You know, I always wanted to make like folk rock music. Folk rock. I was. I, was, ask I always wanted to be like when I was a kid. I wanted to be like Bob Dylan. I wanted to be in the Rolling Stones. You know, like mm-hmm. to this day. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, uh, 
yeah, so I mean, but no one was really interested in that. So it was kind of, it was very isolating. Um, but I didn't really give a shit. So I just did it. I just did it by myself until I found a way in to do it for more people, I guess. And mm-hmm. at that point, I think is when things kind of started to take off. Do you remember what those songs might have been about when, when you were still in high school? Like yeah. Um, it was about rich girls. Uh, yes. um, there we go. Yeah. Rich girls. <laughs> I, a lot of songs about rich girls still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to step away from old tropes, but it's hard not to. That's and, a um, and, uh, yeah, I, I've a lot of, a lot of songs about death. I think mm-hmm. I, um, my birth father died when I was 15 and I was like after some level of rejection with him where like, mm. I went to see him and it just went really poorly. And I kind of always assumed I could like see him later and like level with him as an adult. I understand I was like an accidental child, you know, to whatever, put, put myself in his own shoes, never got the chance. Right. And I was like, at that point in time, I thought a lot about that. I had some other friends in high school who, who also passed away. Oh. Um, and death was always like a big, like kind of um, consciousness in my, like a part of my consciousness. And so I, I, I often, I was like always kind of like wrinkling <laughs> With that, I think, and still, I, I still am. You know, mm-hmm. I think we we all do in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for times it goes away, and other times it comes back. But when I was like angsty and fifteen years old, you know, it, yeah. was, it was certainly like it was like, what does it all mean? You know, right? Like, you know, everything's so profound at that point. So but, a little bit of teenage angst and um, what's the word? Um, exist existential existential questioning. Yeah, a little existential questioning. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the songs are actually quite good. Uh, but the you uh, a lot of, any them, of them back then. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a I've um, recorded them on a microphone computer, or sorry, computer microphone that was like in the inside the in the laptop. in the co- laptop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is just ten years ago. We're talking about yeah, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not very ancient. long ago. Not, not ancient. ancient. Okay. But um, yeah, I didn't have a, I didn't know I had shit about recording. And through that, I kind of, when I met the, when I bullshitted my way into working with the producer, I kind of, I watched him work and then I started to steal from him right. as to like how he was doing it. And I like figured out my own shit. And then my first record that I recorded as Andrew St. James was released when I was right after I graduated high school. Um, oh. I, was seven, I was 17 when we recorded it, 18 when it came out um and uh i recorded most of that in my mom's bathroom <laughs> yeah yeah like, that's like of the songs called like cassidy is a song that it's like still listen to and stuff and you know it's all like literally just me in my mom's bathroom yes because <laughs> you know, like, i you know that's i thought it sounded better i guess you know do you want to share the story because i don't think i can't remember if i recorded it the story of how you got the name Oh, interesting good story. Yeah. Just, oh man. Let's yeah. Hear that. So I, um, yeah. So my birth. So my birth father's name is John McMahon. My birth mother's name is Katie Sullivan, and I was adopted uh, by um, Nathan Naiman and Carol Casp. Okay. And so I was given the name Andrew Naiman uh, when I was when I was a baby. And I, uh, growing up, I kind of always, you know, I, I didn't really think twice about it when I was, and in high school, people would call me like Naaman. I'm not sure why. Mm. I was always like last name Naaman. It's like yeah. a little infamous or something. Um, name, but name. the, uh, but I never, it never really felt right to me, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I never really felt like Andrew Naaman. Like is the name didn't really feel like was it totally... an identity thing being adopted or just the um, name itself the phonetics of the I name? I think it was a f- I truly mean I think well I mean I'm very much my my parents' child you know um right. but I yeah. uh, but I uh, I think it was the phon- it was the name phonetics yeah that was like a little cumbersome for me yeah. and then when I came down to the point of of trying to uh, do something publicly 
the question I had the question before it was raised to me, like, is this the right name I should go under? Should I be called like, you know, I don't know, like James Blake or something? You know, like, what what should I be calling? What's my name? You know, and I, I had the song called St. James Gate. Uh, which was my my birth father died of I believe liver cirrhosis uh, and um, uh, it was essentially a kind of a dark like childish joke about dying of alcoholism mm-hmm. uh, like an Irish exit mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and I uh, yeah and so I, I I had that and I had met this uh, through kind of weaseling I had met this I've uh, met Jim Greer I've mentioned earlier was a, a, a record producer who kind of mentored me and um, is still close to me uh, and Jim was uh, Jim was part of a crew called the Miranda Brothers uh, who were like DJ crew they did they toured with Handsome Boy Modeling School he was in that band with Dan the Automator he was in um, uh, Glass like uh, I guess Brando was in Glassjaw but they um, but he was in uh, Head Automatica with with Daryl Plumbo and Anyway, they were all kind of old school San Francisco uh, production people, and he had most recently at the time done um, Foster the People, uh, Mark Foster's like early recordings and stuff before that uh, the Pumped Up Kick song got exploded, which is another story. Um, but uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I kind of met him, and I and I uh, tried to convince him to record me um, because I needed a way out of high school um, and <laughs> of uh, school. I was like fuck I need to get out of here and uh, yeah. and um, I somehow managed to get him to you know he was he's, he is a very kind man um, but he uh, he was willing to record me and um, he had a manager at the time uh, named Tara uh, Tara Olinger and Tara uh, lives in Los Angeles and Tara's maybe one of the most beautiful women I've ever met um, and at 16 she must have been like 30 or something and I was like 16 years old and I just was like when I met her I was like oh my fucking god dude like I've like whatever what like who are you like like you know I was like like tattooed like beautiful redhead girl I was like dude you're amazing like I'm done you know mm-hmm. and I'm totally smitten and so she uh, but she you know she came you know when I've uh, tried to make a deal with Jim to do a proper record. She came and she basically told me, you know, she's like, well, you know, uh, Andrew Naiman isn't really going to cut it. Uh, I don't think that's a very good name, but this, you have the song called St. James Gate. Maybe you should consider like Andrew St. James. And I was like, and I was like, Tara, whatever you want me to be called, like I will fucking do that, you know? Yes. And, um, yeah, so I was just convinced by like a beautiful woman to be called Andrew St. James, and it stuck. You know, I but mostly just because I never felt really right in my name in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. so like I think that I was like, I'm anointed now. You mm-hmm. know, like okay, man. Um, yeah, and I ran with it, and and it's uh, yeah, I've I've at this point more people know me as that than Andrew Naiman. You know, yeah, my like thousand Facebook friends from high school. You know, like, yeah, there's, like more than that in real life. Well, uh, I'm glad you were yeah. smitten, and I'm glad that's the name she suggested because uh, she, was, it, she right. could have probably suggested literally anything, and you would be like, "Yeah, Li- likely, Andrew yeah, fart sucker, and, yeah, yeah, whatever." Yeah. She'd be like, "Yeah, that's the new joint in Los yes. Angeles. Yeah, if you if you call yourself Andrew Shitbag, dude, like it's gonna be You're big in LA, bro. Straight to the top. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, like wow. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about life? So you said that that kind of helped you escape high school. Oh, for sure. What have you been doing since since the end of high school? Oh man, um, so I released. Or did you graduate? I graduated. Okay. Um, I graduated, and then I got in to my mother. I uh, never had the opportunity to go to college, and um, 
she uh her family didn't believe she should go to college because she was a woman which is really Ooh. fucked up um, and uh and she like f- spent years and years of her life like dealing with you know the repercussions of that um and she always wanted me to go to school um okay. because i had the opportunity and she didn't right. and so i I was an asshole, and I was like, I don't want to go to school, but mm-hmm. for you, I'll figure. I'll, I'll like maybe do that, you know. And uh, I got into Berklee College of Music, which was at the time the best music school in the world on the wrong instrument. Boston, right? <laughs> yeah. Wait, the wrong instrument. Wrong instrument, yeah, dude. Which one? I was playing. They, I played jazz piano at the time, and I was trying to get on jazz piano. But I went into the audition, and they were like, "You're here for guitar." No. They didn't have a piano in the room, and I was mm. like, "Oh." Uh. <laughs> Okay, so I had to like sight read jazz charts on guitar, which I did um, actually. But uh, I went into it was at, I was in Los Angeles, where the I drove down to LA for the thing, and um, it was at this big, <laughs> at this big uh, like rental SIR is like a big uh, studio rental place where they have like you know like big standing max and shit. We'll go and rehearse, and the college had like rented out the thing, and they're in that in that space there's like these huge fucking bathrooms with all these like urinals and, and stalls and shit and i and i did this audition and i was like dude i'm fuck like yeah like i'm fuck yeah well, i guess you know i didn't really want to go to school anyway but uh, yeah there's no way you know like fuck this and i and i went into the i went to like you know hit the hit the head before i left and in the stalls there was like you know there's like maybe 25 stalls in this room and there was like at least 10 that were that were occupied and there was like a bunch of like young men weeping uh. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, damn, I like kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, damn, like I, I don't care that much about this yeah, shit. Like, yeah. wow, I'm out. But yeah, somehow they, they still let me in. And, uh, so I've, you know, I made a promise to my mom and, uh, I went for a semester and okay. I met a lot of really great people who now are doing really great stuff, but mm-hmm. it was, a. Uh, you know, school is never for me anyway. So I was like, yeah, fuck that. I, and I had at that period of time, that same September that I went out to Boston, Massachusetts, I had released the f- my first record called Doldrums. Okay. Um, and Doldrums got picked up on CMJ. It was still a thing at that point, College yeah. Music Journal. Yeah. And um, I was like, that record was being spun. It was like on the top, like it was ranked in the top 10. Oh, wow. Um, and I was getting all these, like I had, a, I like had paid for a publicist that was super cheap and really reasonable. This guy named Josh Bloom is really kind in New York. And he, uh, you know, suddenly I was getting like, like front page USA Today and like all this fucking crazy shit was happening. And I'm like, had fucking college, like being <laughs> this fucking blows, you know, and, yeah. and what am I doing? And, you know, and it was like, you know, I'm getting all these calls being like, you need to act now if you want to like take advantage of this shit, you know. And so I would like, I went, I remember in that like October, I went down to New York to play CMJ solo. I was just about to ask if you were playing out also. I was, I had started, you know, um, but I never toured. And I, um, and I was like, you know, I'd, I went to New York as a kid with my dad to see his family and shit. I never really been there as an adult, and I was like, freshly eighteen. And I get this, you know, like booking for CMJ, and I go. Uh, this club's not there anymore. It's in the Lower East Side, called like Living Room. I think is what it was oh, called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a thing anymore. But I but I was like I was booked for something, and I, and I rolled down there, and I just remember like taking Amtrak, you know, uh, with my guitar. I was like playing solo and. And uh, I was like fucking like totally awestruck by New York, you know. I was like, man, I'm fucking 18. Like, it's all happening to me. You know? mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, you know. And I uh, went and played this like fucking awful show. Uh, the uh, there's like uh, three friends got their like, fake IDs taken, you know. Oh. Um, it's good business for me because we were like making fake IDs at the time, so it's okay. Yeah. But the, uh, but, but, <laughs> but but anyway, the uh, 
uh, yeah, it's just this whole like yeah, this whole thing. But I remember like that period of time it was very exciting, and school was always kind of like such a drag anyway. And I was like, man, I like I can't be doing what people are telling me to do. I'm gonna go and try to do something myself. Yeah. And so I dropped out of school and I recorded a second record mostly in the bathroom of my dorm room <laughs> or of the dorm building in Boston that I was living in. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I went back to California. And uh, we released the second record, which is called The Shakes. And The Shakes, uh, I was like, in, we independently released it. We we're like, yeah, fuck it. Like, just do the same thing. That also had like college journal, uh, music journal rankings and stuff, which is again kind of all small. But uh, we got the, I got a call one day from a manager who managed the Killers uh, uh, back in the day in San Francisco, um, managed a couple other bands at the time. And, uh, he, I had a residency at a place called Doc Ricketts, which was a Purple Onion. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the, some dudes from the Independent went and started, like, kind of started running that as a different club briefly, which is now closed mm-hmm, <laughs> to mm-hmm. But their first month, I had a I had a weekly residency there oh, wow. in 2014. And, um, yeah, then these dudes from L.A. kind of came up, and that's kind of when the game changed for me. Okay. Um, for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You came back, you said back to California. Did you come back to San Francisco? I came back That's, home. Was that ever a question? You're like, I'm done with that. I stayed there for a little while and recorded with this and that. But then you're like, what you was know, that decision like? I had a, um, when I was in school, I started playing with a band. And I, um, the band was really great. And I was trying to convince them all to drop out of school and move, <laughs> to, move to New York City. Yes. Uh, and they were like, they were not having it. So mm. I, um, I've, I always had this, I mean, it's still this day, like I still, you know, wish I could live in, and maybe someday I will like live in New York. Um, but I, uh, at that time I was like, man, like this is like, maybe it'll be something I can do something there, you know, whatever. And so I kind of had this thought of maybe like getting out but I also was always really curious about San Francisco mostly because when I was growing up you know I mean San Francisco is is a very 21 and over town and I growing up like you know we started going to bars when we were like 16 Mm -hmm. there was no alcohol rules really um (laughs) uh which is which is cool you know I think very formulative but uh um but when it came down to like playing shows and shit you know you had to be over 21 because you know you need to have your fucking w9 or else you're you know know. um but the uh there's like you know it's whatever much more serious and so I never really experienced like the real world of music entertainment here until I kind of came back in that period of time um before that i never really i kind of saw it from afar and i always listened to like i mean there's a handful of bands in the in the aughts that like that were super formulative to me that were san francisco bands um you know like darker my love tim presley the guy who now has a band called white fence and um you know uh fucking morning benders were out of berkeley like all the kind of john vanderslice world of, mm-hmm. of stuff and i and i um i always looked up to that like when i was when i first heard like handful of that shit when i was like 14 or 15 really formulative years i was like man this this san francisco girls like christopher owens uh you know like um there was all this shit where i was like man it's super formulative to me and like uh, that's i want to be a part of that and i'm from there and i'm from i'm yeah right no and i was and i was and i was there at the time when it was happening but i was too young and by the time i came of age all that shit was gone right so you know i was like and i didn't realize that before i left school but when I left school, I kind of, you know, I was like, man, like, why wouldn't I try to weasel my way into, into like the fresh and onlys and the fucking OCs and all this shit that's happening there at mm-hmm. Tysagall and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, then I realized when I got back that it had already it had left in 2012 or whatever. Yeah. And, 
and and I was you know I was kind of shit out of luck um and uh that's when I started kind of shifting down to Los Angeles okay that's all right oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but but you do live here now. Yes. Yeah. So I. Um, Otherwise, we're just going to delete this recording. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I um. Well, so I yeah. So I moved. I started to try to move to LA through the um, management deal I've had gotten. Okay. Um, in 2014, and uh, that was like with a uh, handful of their bands were super large, and you know I started hanging out with celebrities and shit and. You know, I was like doing cocaine and drinking and being fucking out of control, and mm-hmm. it was like all exciting, and it was like the first time in my life, really, that I felt like I like was like acknowledged as being good at anything. You know, like and, you know all the things that happen with you know insecurities growing up, and then not like right. having, and then suddenly being like important for no reason at right. all. You know, like <laughs> I felt like that was kind of where I was at, and uh, that didn't, I was unsustainable. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, you're alive now, so I'm alive now. Um, yeah, <laughs> somehow. Uh, the but the uh, yeah, it was a fast time for a moment, and all sorts of things were supposed to happen, and you know things did happen. I mean, I have all sorts of songs. I wrote songs with all sorts of really talented um, artists, and you know I've been I've experienced a lot of things. Went on tour a bunch, you know. But mm-hmm. it kind of like all that kind of the gears started to kind of rust really quickly when yeah. I was down there. And I kind of spun out, and uh, this is amazing. This is, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but actually I can because I mean to. But the, uh, <laughs> but but I, um, you know, I I dropped my drop by the management company. Uh, There's a handful of different issues for that, which are not really totally my fault, actually. But um, that's not something I'm gonna get into. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, anyway, I kind of I thought that once that fell out. You know, my my shit was fucked. You know, I thought I was my career was over, mm-hmm. and I was twenty, <laughs> I was twenty years old, Jeez. and uh, and I um, I joined a band, or I was hired briefly to like kind of sit in with a band called the Sulfite Sixties, who actually were the first band. They they had a moment in San Francisco briefly. Um, uh, they were when I was in high school. They were like playing the chapel a bunch and you know selling out shows. And mm-hmm. Jim, who I was the producer, like had got me to hang some of my first sessions. I hung out with was hung out for when I was like sixteen. And we're like this band sessions, which must have been really weird for them. <laughs> it's like a sixteen year old kid hanging out. But, <laughs> hanging out. Um, but anyway, uh, the uh, yeah they they allowed me to come and they were kind enough to allow me to come and play with them a little bit and and uh, after that I kind of I was like I'm gonna go back to SF and see my parents and. Um, I was arrested in the Presidio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was, I was kind of drunk, but not really. And I was driving <laughs> my car, and I was underage. And I got pulled over, and then they, I had like twenty fake IDs in my in my wallet, and some of which were not mine. And uh, and if it yeah, was twenty one, you would have been fine. Like a lot of cash. Yeah. It was it was all bad. Um, the, I, and I got arrested on federal land. And yeah, oh yeah. And I was like, That's damn, right. like wow. And just moved to L.A. and all she was going. You know, it wasn't going great, but I was like, I'm gonna deal with it. And yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was arrested and I was put in, I, you know, had to go to court and I was facing five years in federal penitentiary. Oh shit. And so I moved back to my parents' house cause I had no money anymore. And, uh, yeah. And then I, you know, faced trial and, and ended up having like three years federal probation. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, which took them like two years to charge me. So it took them a long time, but, um, that must've been a bummer because for those, for that time to a certain set of people, you were Andrew Naiman again. 
Not exactly. No, oh, did you? And, oh. No, most, mostly because the people that were here, none of everyone I grew up with left, you know. Oh, yeah. Most but people. I'm just saying, like, to the feds and to the judge. Oh, the feds. No, actually, that worked out really well. Oh, um, good. Yeah, good. Extremely well. Yeah, cause they Listen never, to me, the I, feds. Yeah, well, the, well the, <laughs> no, but the fed, they never really knew that Andrew Naaman was Andrew St. James. Okay. So I got away with a lot of things. Um, but exactly. The, You're like, I but yeah, I yeah, I was put on federal probation. I got a lot of apologies from the from the marshal and from the federal from the probation because it was like such a slowly crime in their opinion. Um, and the judge was a hardo, and it was a shit shit you know shitty time. And it was right. like getting drunk tested every. And like you said, and, you were barely so. drunk. <laughs> I was only a little drunk, but dude, like I was over, I was under twenty one, and the I had like twenty five IDs. IDs. The IDs. <laughs> so it was a, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. not good. Uh, it was very bad. Um, but anywho, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I've, at that point I was like, man, my life, my life is my life and entertainment is really over and I'm fucked and I don't know anyone in San Francisco because or... every, everyone I knew, well, so, so, well, let me get, let me get there, let me get there. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, I just was really dejected. I mean, I was like, fucked, you know, and my yeah. buddy Cesar who, uh, was in college, he was a couple years younger than me. He had, he moved back, he dropped out of school like I did, um, two years later and, uh, came to San Francisco and I was like, man, like only other talented person I kind of grew up around and I was like, yeah, man, like, do you want to like play my band? Cause I still had a booking agent at the time. And, and I was like, had all these dates on the books, which I was like legally not allowed to go and do. Oh. Um, and so I'd be like, yeah, like, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'll go to jail for playing music, dude. I don't give a fuck. Right, like, right. I mean, I'm, I don't want to go to jail for anything else, but if it has to do with like sustaining my music career, then, you know, like, fuck it. Like, I, mean, I guess, it. I guess I can kind of cross that in my brain. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd leave my like wallet and my, and my phone at home with my mom mm-hmm. and I would like take out like a, you know, $500 in cash or whatever. And we would <laughs> hit the road and Cesar would be the point of contact for everything. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't think that the federal government can fuck me now. So off probation now, yeah. the, um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, anyway, so, you know, I just like go and, and there's a lot of like really close calls with that. But, but during that period of time, like, you know, I still had tours and shit. And so I just was breaking the law and facing like, you know, if they caught me, you know, I, I doing that, I would have, you know, had to go to see the judge and see if the judge wanted me to put me into, into LAWPOC for fucking three years. So, you know what I mean? Like I was like risking my ass, but, but I was like, at the same time, I was still figuring out like, you know, I was like, man, what is San Francisco for me? Like, what can I do here with this situation that I'm like stuck here? Cause I can't, what I, th- I saw Los Angeles as an escape from the fact that San Francisco and and the way in which people had talked about it had died or whatever, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like in 2012 and I was like 2014 or whatever. Right. And so I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And uh, I um, I had a manager at the time, a uh, new manager in San Francisco, and I was talking to him and I was like, man, like I want to throw parties because <laughs> I think there's only one way I can meet people. And I don't think people want to come to shows with music unless they want to get drunk. Like, I don't think they want to come and see music. Like, right. I mean, unless they're tricked into doing it. <laughs> and, um, and uh, he was like, I don't think you're right. You know? And I was like, well, I think I'm right. And, uh, and <laughs> I want to do this at amnesia because it seems to be the place where people are doing that, but it's, uh, it's only beer and wine, but people are still really drunk there and go to the show and, and it seems to be a vibe and, you know, I'd like to do it there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're fucking crazy. It's not going to be a thing. Like, you know, like if, if you do this and you fuck it up, then it's going to be the end of your reputation here. Literally what he said to me. When was this? This is 2015, 16, okay. 2016. And, and I was like, dude, I, I don't believe, I think you're an asshole and I don't think that that's true. Um, but I also have nothing to lose. 
Like I literally have nothing to lose at this point. And I've lost everything that I've, I've worked up to. I'm going to try this. He goes, fuck it. You know, what's the point? And I, um, through him, I met uh, a now Chronicle writer named Adrian Spinelli. And Adrian and I started the Fast Times Parties okay. at um, Amnesia. And they were fucking fast and loose, dude. Like, from the start. Mostly because I didn't know anybody. So I was, like, bullshitting all sorts of people to play. And um, luckily for me, the people who I met that worked there, uh, Greg Martino is a bartender. He's a band called Tino Dreama. Greg is, like, a fucking Casanova. He's, like, amazing. Okay. He's truly amazing. Mac is uh, doing sound there. He's in a band called The French Cassettes. Also, like, an incredible band that does really quite well. Um, there's just like a handful of different people that were around there, like that were super special and like were kind of helped me a lot and really didn't give a shit about anything. So like, you know, we could basically get away with anything. And I realized that really quickly. Um, Adrian, I think was a little put off by that. Mm-hmm. And so he was like the, I fired the manager cause he was an asshole and, and was, you know, didn't believe in me. He was wrong. And he was wrong and he didn't believe in me. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, fuck you. And, and, you know, I mean, no hard feelings, but he was not, not right for the job. And, and, uh, and. Adrian, who met me through him, was like, "All right, like let me step back, and you can do what you want." And then I inherited the I inherited the monthly night, and through the monthly night, um, I I think all of my current consciousness was born. I think okay. I like I kind of was like reborn through that like two year span of amnesia shows. And were you playing and host hosting or hosting? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was trying to book. Basically, the idea was I was trying to get. I was trying to unite. There, I, I saw, as I saw it, and as I still see it, there's a lot of, there's a handful of different musical scenes in San Francisco that are super yeah. small yep. and insular, and they don't interact with one another. Right. And a lot of them do shows at tiny clubs like Makeout Room or at, at, you know, Knockout or whatever. And, and you know, there's not, it just there, the draw is not high, and, right. and therefore no one's making money. And right. so I was like, man, I think that if we all want to make money, we should probably get together and, like, have some sort of like you know way where there's like you know people are really awkward and hard to talk to and whatever and i understand that people are are a little cagey and that's perfectly fine but you know like there's if that is taken away somehow from from that sort of social structure i think that um, it'll be beneficial for everybody and then also it will allow there to be a little bit more competition between all the acts that are there because in these different scenes they're like super talented acts you know but they were all very separate from one another. And if they were all together at the same time, then maybe through that there would be a little bit more like contention in a way that's healthy for creative output and 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 you know, like, you know, just like have there be some sort of like healthy competition to make everyone better. And, like, and just was... exposure too, like for exactly. to see different Different styles different of music, styles different, and acts different and stuff. stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and at the same time, all these people are all very similar, like kind and similarly, like, you know, competent and cool and all these other things. And so it was kind of like, you know, a no brainer. And so through the amnesia thing, I kind of attempted to do that. Um, and that became the only way I could really bullshit people into doing it was like having some of my like closest party friends be there to like party them into to make in, it a party into, into being yeah into into being comfortable <laughs> like like basically not giving a shit anymore and, right. and and but like being like and being comfortable being good or being whoever they are you know like whatever right. the fuck you know unique whatever like it's all cool like you know, like it's, it's, that's special. And so like, anyway, um, yeah, so we created the party and it kind of blew up a little bit. There was a lot of, a lot of ridiculous, like failures. Um, but the, sure. um, but, but uh, like of nights that were just like so fucked, but, but still like 
that if that was fun it was still funny like every part of it was funny as fuck and it was nice because everything but i did before that was like was so uh so like important self-important and like <laughs> everything had to be so right you know and and it and it became very like tame you know like people like all the shit just was like you know i'd go play noise pop sets or something and i'd be like play this perfect show you know or whatever and, and the the writer from the paper would write about it or whatever and then it would be like oh that's really great but like nothing would come of it you know but you know i fuck up one show at amnesia and like 100 people are talking about it and and, and it was like man like and it's but in this way that it's like not like terrible is more endearing than it was like right. bad, you know, and I and then something clicked in my brain and I uh, I formulated two bands through that uh, the Juan Wayne band, which was always a joke with Cesar and I because Cesar was taking care of me throughout the time in which I was like potentially going to go to jail mm-hmm. uh, touring and we always have this joke his name is Cesar Maria Hamilton uh, mm-hmm. Cesar Maria as what he goes by and uh, he's a white man and I was like man if you're Cesar Maria, we were in some argument and I was like if you're Cesar Maria motherfucker I'm Juan Wayne bitch like Juan you know Wayne. like yeah like you know we have this whole thing and, and but you know we we're coming to blows at some night and and but it stuck kind of and we we're like oh, maybe we should make a fucking a stupid band stupid band called, called Juan, Juan Wayne, Wayne. <laughs> dress like cowboys you know but like play songs like Oasis and Elliot Smith you know like like that's what we're gonna yeah. do and um yeah and eventually we kind of did that we've you know uh 20 17 18 i think i came i went down to la where he lives and and uh we recorded a, a record first one lane record which is now out um uh on his on his eight track tape machine and it sounded super fucking depressing but very yeah. but, but like like kind of hooky and uh the, the songs are quite good i'd say and so i started at amnesia i started to show like the regular dudes who were playing like uh, like people that were playing like here like check out this Juan Wayne shit what do you think you know and they're all like fuck they all got super stoked on it awesome and so I was like yeah let's do a Juan Wayne show we have like front people of like every band like be the Juan Wayne band right and so the Juan Wayne band became like uh, like every so often we played these songs before anyone was ever released or anything but we'd all get you know out of control and and dress like cowboys and play these <laughs> rock and roll songs and people just started losing their shit. And that was like, that was a total creation of the party. Like that was like the one way was like a creation of, of my relationship with Cesar, but also like it was a creation through the party and the collectivism of, of, of like giving up kind of, you know, giving, giving up the, giving up the, the, uh, allure of, of, of importance or something that mm-hmm. I think is, is inherently a problem. I think now in town, yeah, know, creatively, because I think it segregates people. From totally. And maybe fo- focusing on the wrong thing versus just kind of like, let's just have fun with it or I don't right. well, come do together you, kind of thing. No, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, completely. So at a point, um, the parties kind of got, uh, they got to a point where it seemed like I, I wanted to kind of move up the ladder a little bit into larger shows. I couldn't get larger bands to play at Amnesia, and so I was like, let's go and, you know, maybe try the chapel. And I'd met uh, a woman named Ashley Graham, who uh, worked at the Fillmore, um, and I'd opened a show at the Fillmore, I believe that's how I met her. I kind of talked to her about the idea of, of, like, hey, can we, like, try to do, you know, move this idea, this party, like, up up the line? And um, I apparently convinced her, and uh, she uh, got me on the line with the, the chapel people, and then... We started throwing parties at the chapel. We had three parties before the pandemic that were all really great. Um, and that was like really exciting. Still doing the stuff in Amnesia. Amnesia closed because it's San Francisco. And R. then R. we moved that party to the makeout room, which is now still happening. Um, yes. Uh, it returned 
um, every third Thursday going forward now. When did it return? Uh, September. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, at the point of the pandemic, uh, you know, everything was kind of, I've had a uh, residency in LA with the, with the one lane band, this fast times band, which I haven't talked about very much was like kind of doing its thing here. And we had a tour like going out, we were about to go on the road and, and, uh, then the pandemic hit. And all these plans, you know, kind of fell apart. I also just, like, gotten off of federal probation, like, a week before the pandemic hit. So I was like, man, I had all my shit set for me. Fucking dude. universe. Like, so Thanks, ready, universe. Dude. I was so ready. And then I just got fucked, you know. But the, but that's this is the way things go. And um, I, about a month into it, I was like, man, what the fuck am I going to do? And I talked, I called Ashley on the phone, and she was like, man, like, do you want to, like just play to people on the street. And I was like, man, I guess we could do that. You know, like we could like, uh, we kind of came up with this idea and then we started like being like, Hey, like hit me up on Instagram. We'll go like play on the street in front of your house for like three songs and bullshit awesome. with you and say what's good. And, and at first it was just friends and it was, it was kind of cool. And then it kind of got picked up by the like local news and shit. So, um, the radio started that had been covering my shit for a while. Luckily, uh, were nice, nice enough for them to have cared about any of the music I've ever made. And, uh, they've like started talking about it, like live one five or alt one five, which is now Fred or whatever. Um, yeah. the, um <laughs> you know, there's like a handful of other uh, kind of smaller, like then like KML and, and, mm -hmm. and Calix and, uh, you know, we're all super kind to start talking about it. And then through that, uh, the newspaper started writing about it. And then um, then we got on uh, local television, yes. which is insane because um, we went from playing to, like, you know, people who would, like, be at shows or, like, are, like, in the bar world or, like, are kind of, like, in nightlife, like, adjacent somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, people I'd seen somewhere or whatever, like, to being, like you're going to Stockton today to play to a, to a family, a single mom who's like, has like four kids and has been like dealing with four kids for like oh God. six months alone or like an old woman who is like, no, like has been alone for a year. Right. Or like someone who's like dying from cancer, like crazy, like, like a kid who's like terminally ill. Like it was like, it went, it got from, it went from being like kind of this party thing to like this, like very very real like community like community thing where it was like just like going up and saying hi right was real it was just like seeing somebody else that had nothing to do with the music or anything or me yeah. like it was just or scott and scott shares a space with me like was uh, came with me with all of it and so did ashley and and that kind of like that was a very astounding thing because i think for years of you know the reason why we started throwing parties is because it was like people don't give a shit about music you know so we need to get people drunk to like have them give a fuck about anything that's right. happening here right and and uh you know it's a, that came that comes from a level of being pretty jaded mm -hmm. and and then going and like seeing people actually respond emotionally like in 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 certain like circumstances that you would never be able to reach in in the in the regular world of playing like club shows or whatever like and taking music to them right no and for and for no money dude like there's so right. many people who are like how much do we pay you and i was like i mean scott's on unemployment uh i'm getting paid by i'm have a job still somehow and you know we're all like we're, we don't it's not about the money like I want to wrap with this, yes. and that is our theme this season for the show is We're Still Here. Um, I mean, my family left. Uh, I've had a lot of friends leave. Um, artist friends, of majority of them have left. Uh, I have a lot of friends I grew up with that are gone. Um, I A lot of the people I looked up to uh, growing up in music and stuff are no longer here. Uh, it's a difficult time to be here. And I think that, um, it has been for a long time. Um, but, uh, it's a little bit more poignant now with the return to 
return to uh, kind of normalcy because a lot of like the businesses or the places that were like still that were also holding on are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there's even less less security than there was beforehand. Um, and that is really uh, troubling. But I do think that there is like with the people that are still here, you know, that decide to continue to hustle through all the shit and figure out something that's going to work like you know, and all the issues with the city and all these issues with the fucking, you know, just all the problems that, that one deals with living here and running a business here or working for a business here, what what have you. Being like an artist. Being an artist, like it's, and not being necessarily very um, uh, appreciated uh, by by the general city as as it were, mm-hmm. or the city that is now here. Um, you know, it's, 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 there's, the people who are left are, I think, are are the building blocks for the future. That was Andrew St. James. On the next storied San Francisco, get to know poet and editor Shizue Siegel. Episode 28 drops next Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 160 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can please rate and review our show so we can reach even more folks. We love email. Drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay healthy, keep dreaming, and we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.